Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Where are you? I am at the basement of my house in Peachum, Vermont, sitting upon my kicker bike. And who are you? My name is Ian Boswell. I am a retired professional road cyclist and now a gravel rider and employee at Wahoo. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Uh, how's life in Vermont right now? Because you are my first guest on the temporarily renamed Stuck at Home Roads now, normally, I would be with you in Vermont, we'd be riding on the roads that you know, or maybe somewhere else you've lived in your career, but just tell me how things are now, um, being, well, I'm assuming, on lockdown, like I am here in London. Yeah, I mean, things are, to be honest, surprisingly, I guess, similar for myself. You know, my wife and I live in a relatively rural location, so we have, um, we don't live in a city, so things haven't changed much at home. Um, but definitely, you know, a lot of the events and travel that was scheduled for my spring has been subsequently postponed or canceled altogether. And is it frustrating? I mean, you've been traveling for a long time, having been a pro cyclist. Um, but what's your view of it now? Um, you know, it's been nice to to spend more time at home and, you know, kind of no, going into this transition away from being a professional cyclist. I realized that I was going to be spending more time at home. So it's been a transition and, you know, kind of adapting to being in one place more often. You know, I spent a lot of time here last, last year following a crash I had and over the winter months, but usually in the spring, I kind of start to get a bit antsy and ready to hit the road again. And I was actually over in Nice, France, kind of before the current situation all escalated. So I'm, uh, yeah, happy to be spending time at home, but definitely was looking forward to, to attending some gravel events this spring as well that have been, like I said, postponed. You were lucky to get some time in, in Nice before the lockdown because here in the UK, people are still getting out on their bikes. They're still riding on the roads. Uh, I'm not really doing that. I've been out a couple of times, but a bit gingerly because I don't want to burden the health service if I happen to come off. But there's no official rules saying you can't. In France, people can only sort of walk or run within a kilometer of their house so 
the rules there are pretty strict. And what, what's it like in Vermont? Yeah, it's probably similar to what you have in the UK now. It's been more of a, in you know, it's kind of going state by state. Obviously, um, the federal government has asked you know people to to kind of stay stay at home and you know shelter in place. The state of Vermont has a similar policy at the moment. You know, people are still allowed to go outside, and you know, I've seen a ton of people out walking. Personally, I kind of feel like you do. I have not been riding outside. You know, I've thought about it, but, you know, without, you know, really any need to put in long training rides, I've been sticking to, you know, riding indoors. And like I said, I'm pretty fortunate to have a a kicker bike and a good setup with my indoor ecosystem that, you know, I'm able to exercise as much as I need while, while staying home. Yeah. You work for Wahoo these days. They sponsor this podcast. I'm not going to go overboard with acknowledging the sponsor, but I too am sat on my kicker in my back bedroom in Hackney, yeah, pretty centrally in London. Uh, I've got my Rome in front of me and I, honestly, I'm just cruising on the kicker. I'm like on level three. I'm doing like 120 watts average. Heart rate's only around 103 and I'm, I'm only going the equivalent of 18K, which is not particularly quick because because you and I, I don't know if you remember, I met you first when you just joined what was then Team Sky and you'd moved down to Nice and I came out on a ride with you and oh, I can't remember who else was there. I think it was Luke Rowe at the time and Pete Kenyuk possibly. Uh, and that, I mean, we must be talking maybe seven years ago, seven or eight years ago. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, it must have been my first year was 2013 um, was my first year at Sky. So yeah, maybe eight eight years ago now, or eight seasons, I guess. This would be the eighth season. And do you remember the culture shock? Because I remember talking to you about that. You'd, I think you traveled outside the US at the time, um, but living abroad in a country where you didn't speak the language, I remember quite vividly you finding it all a bit of a, uh, you know, all a bit different. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's kind of hard to think back to 2013 because over the last, you know, seven years of my life, I've really made... Nice, France, home. Um, you know, it was the place where I spent the majority of the time over the last seven years. But yeah, I remember those first couple months were definitely challenging, just, you know, kind of stepping up to the world tour and having the expectations of, you know, what the team expected me to do for training and racing and all the while trying to set up a life and especially in a foreign country without, you know, knowing the system and kind of the legal process of getting a visa and renting an apartment and cell phones and all that. Um, yeah, it was definitely definitely a challenge. You probably came across me at one of my more vulnerable times when I had first moved to Nice. So how did it go from that point onwards, just in terms of the home life and living in France? Did you pick up the lingo? Did you settle into the Gallic routine, that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I loved living in Nice. You know, it really did become a home for me. And, you know, over the course of my seven years there, I, you know, learned to speak French. I wouldn't say I'm completely fluent but you know anything that i needed to do i could get by and like i said i went back in late february for a couple weeks to visit and you know i probably had would have thought that i never would have wanted to go back to nice i would have rather traveled to somewhere i hadn't been before but you know i really do love i love that city i love that area you know the riding on the road is probably one of the best places in the world to ride a bike and i have so many friends there still it's a place that i would love to you know frequent at least once a year to go back and 
ride all those roads and see all my friends and go to the restaurants and bakeries and, you know, see how my times over the course of my life slowly slow down over the climbs that I once was uh, setting the KOMs up. Oh yeah, which KOMs did you get? Uh, this last trip, none. Um, <laughs> but for a while, I had a couple couple decent ones. I had one up the Saint Agne, up the Col de Madone. Uh, Richie has since uploaded a file that he previously had that he kept off Strava, then he put on Strava, and I may still have Col de Browse. I did a pretty quick time up there at one point with Dombrowski and TJ Van Gardner, but uh, that was I don't know, must have been two or three years ago now. So. There are a lot of a lot of good riders in that area now, and a lot more riders on on the Strava platform, and also a lot more riders riding faster than we were several years ago. Just natural evolution of of sport. Let me tell you a quick story of my own from about the Calder Browse. A couple of uh, summers ago, I was challenged to Everest uh, up a climb, and for some reason, we picked the Calder Browse, and uh, we did it in July. I say we; it was me. And I managed to go up and down nine and a half times, which is oh. five and a half thousand meters uh, before I almost passed out through heat stroke because the temperature got up to 36 Celsius. Slightly one of, one of the more foolish escapades I've had on a bike. So oh, unfinished business with the colder browse. And I'll be honest, I, I probably never want to see it again. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a beautiful climb, but yeah, in the summertime, once you get off the coast, it can get really hot back there. And that climb in particular is not not very well shaded it can yeah it can get nice and toasty back there in the summertime another time more recently and for home roads was when i was down just outside monaco just across the border and i was sat on trainers uh with your two former teammates uh garrett thomas and chris froome and the thing is even though you know, they've got all those roads to play on they're still happy to jump on the trainer when we're in this sort of lockdown period, is it easy for you to adjust to just indoor training like you did when you were a pro, just sit in the saddle and churn out the numbers? Um, yes and no. You know, I've definitely adapted to doing more indoor training, not just during this period, but kind of over the last couple of years, spending more winters here in Vermont where the weather's less than ideal for riding outdoors and, you know, knowing that I needed to prepare, you know, in November, December, I've definitely developed more you know, desire and kind of ease of riding inside. And, you know, you look at indoor training now with, you know, the technology of riding inside and what you're able to do, you know, coaches can send you workouts. There's all sorts of online platforms. And I've been using the Sufferfest recently because I can, you know, do specific workouts that keep me more engaged than just, you know, turning my, you know, roam onto erg mode and flip into different power numbers. You know, when you're, when you kind of get, a good setup indoors. It makes it a lot easier to actually fulfill a workout and it's pretty darn efficient. You know, I can come down to my basement and jump on for, you know, 60, 90 minutes. And that's pretty much all I need for a day. I mean, when you do that though, do you miss the, I guess, soulful experience of just being outdoors on the bike, you know, the wind in your hair, the sunglasses on, the legs out, that sort of thing. I mean, there's no substitute for that. Of course, you know, you and I have had to hunker down to do this for the time being, but it makes me realize just how much I love just pedaling through the landscape on a, on a bicycle outdoors. Yeah, no, I definitely miss that. And, you know, I think what I miss most about riding outdoors is the social aspect to it. You know, I think in my seven years of living in Nice, I probably did maybe 10 rides by myself. You know, almost every day I 
road with someone, you know, definitely as a pro, you know, living in a foreign country, that tends to be a lot of your socialization is riding with people. And if you don't ride with people, then, you know, you might not speak to anyone in a native tongue for, you know, days or weeks on end. So I made riding my bike with people, my social activity. Um, but I guess just, you know, being cognizant of the fact that in order to do those long rides and to have that socialization on the bike, you know, riding inside to prepare myself for when, you know, lockdown does end or, you know, when I do go back to Nice or go wherever to ride with people that I'm able to ride with them. So there's always a little kind of bug in the back of my head reminding me that, you know, putting in the miles inside definitely helps when it comes time to, to get outside. Are, are you sort of the mindset then of a, a pro athlete? I mean, I know it's not that long since you retired, but is are you still in that routine of just keeping the fitness ticking over for when you might need it? Um, you know, I definitely go through phases, you know, there's times and, you know, weeks where I'm like, still have that, those tendencies where like, I want to, you know, wake up in the morning and jump on, you know, the trainer for, you know, 30, 40 minutes before breakfast, and then, you know, try to do a ride after. And then there's times, for example, this, the last two weeks, my brother was up visiting me and, you know, I probably rode a total of eight hours in two weeks because I was just jumping on and, also knowing that there's no events coming up, I you know was still turning my legs over because I just love to to exercise and I always feel better afterwards. But um, yeah, it's something that I kind of am still very much going through this transition of having the mentality of a pro road rider, but slowly kind of adapting to a life where riding a bike is you know a privilege, and every time I get to jump on my bike, it's an opportunity to kind of unwind and take a step back and just you know take some take some me time the other thing boz i wonder about is when you were at team sky obviously it led the way with marginal gains everything was considered by dave brailsford including maintaining the you know the cleanliness hand sanitizer everywhere you know bring your own pillows to hotels i mean he really did see far ahead didn't he in terms of the importance of that kind of thing yeah I mean it's it's funny I saw some writer maybe it was last week did a tweet or Instagram post like you know now the whole world is experiencing what it feels like to be a writer trying to get selected for the Tour de France and like those weeks leading up to the tour any grand tour for that sake you know where you're you're hyper aware of illness and catching a bug or you know washing your hands covering your you know covering your mouth when you're on the plane, you know, turning the little fan on when you're on the plane, the little uh, air jet above your head. And it's, you know, I'm very aware of that. You know, I see now that more people are, you know, kind of just aware that, you know, cleanliness is of the utmost importance right now. But it's like, I've kind of <laughs> been like, I'm not a germaphobe at all, but especially before key events, just being extremely, you know, focused on staying healthy and, ways in which to do that at when i was at team sky they brought in like a, a a doctor of some sort to you know kind of give us a tutorial on you know just the spread of disease and you know staying healthy and team sky at the time implemented this zero days policy which was a essentially just a policy to make sure that we didn't have any missed days due to illness um so it's something i've been aware of for a while now and it's something that you know, in a time like this makes me kind of a, I guess, a resource to my family just to remind them of, you know, little tips, you know, you hand sanitize, but then you, you know, grab your 
you know, the gas handle to fill up your gas tank, but then you jump in your car. It's like, well, you, anytime you touch something, like you've re, you know, you've re-exposed yourself to potential risk. And that's something that as a rider, I was very aware of. I thought you said zero dates policy. I was like, wow, they stopped you seeing your girlfriend <laughs> or your wife. You know, maybe not that no, no, we still had, still had girlfriends and wives, thankfully. <laughs> But it was kind of drilled into you then, this, this the importance of looking at all these details. And I guess that's something, you know, all of us are having to learn belatedly now. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, you know, and it really is, you know, Team Sky, Ineos, you know, they're definitely at the forefront of a lot of things. You know, and they've even gone to the extent of, you know, doing individual, you know, washing machines so riders don't get a saddle sore during a Grand Tour and, you know, a lot of those things you start to realize, you know, those do have a, an effect and, you know, people can go through their whole life and wash their hands very seldomly and never get sick. But, you know, any chance you have to, you know, decrease the potential of, of illness or sickness or, you know, in the case of cycling, a, you know, a saddle sore, then, you know, you're increasing your odds of a more successful outcome. You were at Team Sky for how long was it? Four or five seasons in the end? Yeah, five seasons at Sky and then two years at Katusha Alpeson. Uh, how do you look back on the on the time at Sky? Because, you know, really fortunate to be there at a time when it was the dominant team in professional cycling. Yeah, you know, I look back on that as kind of my, I feel like it was one of the, the golden windows of of that team. And maybe that's just my perspective of it, but you know, I had joined the team after Wiggins had just won the tour and kind of the, the rise of Chris Froome. And you know, at that time in particular, there were a lot of English speaking riders and kind of the core of the team was, you know, the, the group of British riders, you know, you had Froome and Garrett Thomas, Pete Kenna, Swifty, um, you know, and it was a, it was a very easy team to make good friends on. And like when I went back to Nice a couple of weeks ago, you know, I reconnected with with all the riders that, you know, I had raced with, cause we're still, we're still good friends. And a lot of the better friends in the cycling world are still friends that I met on that team. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Who were your best mates when you were racing? Uh, you know, I always got along really well with, with Pete Kenna, Luke Rowe. You know, Swifty was living in Nice for a while, so we got on well. And then in the later years, you know, I spent a fair amount of time with, 
with Teo, um, I guess Phil Dignan as well. We, for some reason, roomed together a lot during 2016, 2017 season. So I spent a lot of time with, with Phil and subsequently, you know, became friends with, with his wife, Lizzie, as well. Uh, and you and Phil just retired pretty much at the same time, actually. Or was it Phil a, a year before? Yeah, Phil was a year before. And actually, he uh, he came to pick me up at the hospital in Italy after my crash last year. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, you know, we've exchanged quite a few messages and spoken on the phone just about the, the process of retiring and kind of how it, it does change you as a person, but how it, you know, in many ways opens up a lot of new doors and makes you really grateful for the time we've both had as, as professional riders. Yeah, we'll come back to that in a second because I don't want to leave the career just there for, for a second. I mean, what were the biggest highlights for you, first and foremost, when you were at Sky? Um, you know, I had quite a few. Um, you know, one of the, personally, you know, I had a good stage in, in the Vuelta, I think 2015. Um, I was like third on a stage in Andorra and it was kind of a, not a breakthrough ride, but a ride that kind of made me feel validated in, in my role as a professional rider on that team. Cause for a while I had struggled in, in the world tour and just kind of felt, you know, like I was, you know, hitting my head against a wall and finally I kind of had a bit of a breakthrough and actually felt like, Oh wow. Like, you know, maybe I actually, you know, have a place on this team and, you know, can provide a lot more help and support to, to the leaders or get results myself. So that was one of the highlights. And then, you know, one of the other probably biggest highlights of the my time there was winning the team time trial at the Vuelta and it must have been twenty seventeen. We won the, the opening team time trial and Pete Kenna took the the red jersey. And was the team spirit really amazing? Because, you know, when it came to team time trials, such a well drilled machine uh, at that time. Yeah, I mean, you know, from from the outside, the team as a whole has gotten you know, maybe some bad press as being like very robotic and very calculated and, you know, hyper controlling. Um, but from the inside, at least the time when I was on the team, you know, we had a lot of fun and that was largely due to just the group of riders that we had. You know, like I said, we had a lot of guys who were just really good friends and had been friends for a long time. So that core group of riders really made it an enjoyable experience to actually be at those races. And there was a lot of, you know, we were serious and focused when we needed to be, but there was a lot of a lot of joking around and just having fun. And I think a lot of our success was, was a byproduct of just having fun and really trusting each other. Uh, when you say fun, I mean, did you get used to the British sense of humor? As I know, I know Swifty can be quite a good laugh. He's featured on the Home Roads podcast before. Uh, Pete Kenyuk, I know as well, good sense of humor. And Luke Rowe, especially a bit of a joker in the pack. Oh, yeah. I mean, those, you know, when I, I remember when I first went to the team, I couldn't understand Pete Kenna at all. I was like, what the heck? He's not speaking English. But, you know, over the course of time, I've, you know, picked up on all the accents. And, you know, definitely, you know, Luke to this day is probably one of the biggest pranksters I've ever met. I mean, he's always trying to pull, you know, pull one over on someone or make a joke. And, you know, I have a lot of good memories of, you know, both in, in race, you know, laughs, but also, you know, just around the dinner table or on the team bus. You know, there was always a, always a good mood around the team. So what was it like when Sky came to an end then and you decided to move to Katusha, which at the time, you know, was also a, a bit of a super squad? Yeah, you know, I had spent five years at, at Team Sky. And, you know, as, as an American, I, 
you know, got into cycling watching the Tour de France. And that was for a long time. That was, you know, my goal and why I got into cycling was I wanted to ride the tour. And as I spent more time at Sky, the, the probability of me making that tour team just became more challenging because, you know, the, you know, the team with their budget and success were able to bring in a lot of riders from the outside and kind of bring in kind of key talents to, to support, whether it's Froome or G or Bernal. And I just kind of realized that in order for me to, to make that tours team, um, I was going to have to leave, leave team sky. So I made that choice and I was, you know, more than happy to, you know, join a new team and kind of re reassess my career personally and kind of set out on a quest to, you know, maybe get more results and have more opportunities and, you know, to ride the tour de France, which I did in, in 2018, uh, yeah, 2018. And what was that like when the chance finally came? It must have been like the dream of a lifetime. Yeah, it was. You know, I, uh, I mean, still to this day, I mean, when you're surrounded by kind of greatness, you know, which I have been at, you know, at Team Sky, where you have riders who've won the tour and it's, you know, they haven't just won it once, they've won it, you know, Froome's won it four times. It seems almost like common and normal to be with riders who have ridden the Tour de France. Um, you know, kind of like now that I've walked out of that world, looking back on it and realizing like, wow, you know, I <laughs> set out my dream of, of riding the Tour de France and I was able to do that. And, you know, I really enjoyed my, you know, the one tour that I did in, in 2018, pretty much from start to finish. It was a dream come true. And for whatever reason, I was in a kind of a headspace where I was really just like wide eyed and made sure to appreciate every day. And, and I did. And yeah, made it to made it to Paris and was able to help the team in the mountains, and it was uh, yeah, it was worth a life. A life not say a life changing experience, but definitely like a dream come true to to have done that. And other riders say that when they step up to finally compete in the Tour de France, of course, just being there, just even competing, but and getting through it is an achievement in itself. But did you find it was really the biggest, the fastest, the most difficult race of your life? Um. You know, to be honest, it wasn't. Um, and I think a part of that was because I'd prepared so much for it and I was so focused in the, the months and weeks leading up to the race. You know, if anything, I probably, you know, was more scared of the race than I had thought. You know, I, I thought it was going to be harder than maybe it was. And because all, I mean, you're racing against the same guys all the time. And when you're, you know, as fit as you can be, you know, everyone else is also extremely fit, but the level doesn't really go up that much. Um, I, mean, I definitely suffered a lot more in a lot of the races, but you know, if anything, I probably had more in the tank than I let out at the tour, just because I was, you know, if anything, almost intimidated of how hard I thought the race might be compared to other races. But you know, upon finishing, realizing that you know it's the same guys, you know, more or less racing the same climbs that we would do in in the Dauphiné or other races in France. Uh, and what was the inspiration for actually wanting to race in the first place and, and then get to the tour? Was it Lance, which is, of course, the obvious question for Americans of your generation? There's no denying it that, you know, as a as a young American, you know, Lance definitely captured the imagination and, you know, inspired a whole generation of of young you know athletes to get into cycling. And, you know, watching him win seven tours in a row was definitely, you know, like I said, I can't can't lie. That was definitely the reason that I that I got into cycling and, you know, because of Lance's influence on cycling in the U S you know, that opened a lot of doors for a lot of young athletes to, you know, 
increased funding to USA Cycling and different development teams, you know, being formed. So, yeah, I mean, I watching, you know, Lance race in, in the early 2000s was definitely an inspiration for me to pick up a bike and, you know, kind of jump on this journey to, to try and race in Europe. Now, I'll be honest, Boz, I mean, you've retired at a, a fairly young age. How, how old are you now? 29, something like that? Yeah, 29. So what was what prompted it? Was it that last crash or once you'd raced the tour, did you think I'm, it's never going to get better than this? What what was the reason for it deciding to, to to walk away at this point in time? You know, without that crash I had sustained last year at Torino Adriatico, I would I would still be racing my road on my road bike today. Um, you know, and just kind of the I don't want to say medical complications, but some of just the medical information that I learned about myself through that crash definitely pushed me to to kind of reevaluate things. And that time I spent, you know, the entirety of almost 2019 not racing on the road allowed me time to kind of reassess where I am and you know what the future of my life looked like. And you know. It, I, you know, I still love riding my bike. I still wanted to continue to ride my bike and be within the industry because it's something I, I love and I know. So, you know, it's, it's, I, it was never something I had planned on. It wasn't like I rode the tour and I was like, oh, cool. Like I, I did that and, you know, I'll, I'm done with cycling now. But I don't know. It's, uh, it's still something I can't fully explain. But, you know, for whatever reason, it just felt like it was time to, to try something new and other other doors open and opportunities. And, you know, I felt like I could also walk away from, from a life of prof- professional road racing, realizing that I'd accomplished a lot and I could be satisfied and kind of walk out on my own terms and realize that I, you know, really enjoyed my time there without walking away without any sort of, you know, resentment towards the sport or my career. You know, I loved every minute of it and I'm happy that I did it. So you're at peace with the decision. You're at one with it and looking forward to, to a new kind of future. Yeah, definitely. You know, when I was over in Nice a couple of weeks ago, I was staying with, with Larry Warbass, one of my good friends over there. Um, and he asked me if I, if I regret my decision or if I missed it at all. And I said, to be honest, I, I don't, <laughs> you know, I, I did, I did it for, you know, the majority of my adult life and I loved it, but you know, just knowing what it takes to be successful at that level and kind of knowing what I, the time I had to put in the sacrifices, I just realized that, you know, for whatever reason, I was ready to ready to try something new. And, you know, I have all the most respect for the guys who are still out there doing it because it's a, uh, well, it's an awesome life. It's definitely incredibly challenging. And, you know, you're pushing your body to the limits and you're, you know, making a lot of sacrifices to, you know, around friends and family and just, you know, general life as, as a whole. In some ways, your timing was impeccable because, this year because of the coronavirus because you know that's the reason why you and I are talking in this way as opposed to riding on roads together that the whole cycling season has been decimated I mean the spring classics have gone the Giro has gone the tour looking extremely unlikely or maybe it'll be moved to later in the year the Olympics have gone uh, what are your friends who are still in the pro peloton saying to you about all that yeah, I mean, in, in kind of to your previous question, and that's that's kind of part of it. For whatever reason, while I was spending this time away from the sport, you know, I started to put more value on other areas of my life. You know, my home life, my family. You know, I got married last year, so time with with my wife. And you know, <laughs> had I still been a cyclist right now in this current current climate, you know, I would be stressing. I'd be you know worried about you know when am I going to race next, about my contract. 
you know, all sorts of things, which, you know, friends that I've spoken with, you know, who are in that situation now, it's extremely stressful because you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you've seen teams, you know, reduce salaries and you've seen, you know, races being pulled and will they come back or will they be postponed? And then you have to wonder, you know, how is that going to affect riders who are currently in the world tour who are on a contract year, but also, you know, young riders who are, you know, trying to move up, are they going to have an opportunity to, to show themselves to, to make that step to the next level? So for you then, what does the future hold? I know you're, you're working for Wahoo now, who are the sponsors of, uh, of Home Roads, but um, what does that entail? What are you going to be doing? Initially, I was supposed to be participating in quite a few gravel events here in the States. That has been, uh, yeah, it's on, on hold for the moment. But I'm working um, mostly with the, within the marketing team. So I'm actually doing a podcast of my own called Breakfast with Boz. So it's nice to actually be interviewed for a podcast and not having to be the interviewer. Um, you know, but also working with the marketing team and, you know, kind of working around the events that we host, well, that we had planned to host, you know, around the gravel events, but also taking on more responsibility with managing some of the athletes and teams that, that Wahoo partners with just to make sure that, you know, the teams and athletes are as supported as they possibly can be by Wahoo and myself kind of having a background as, as an athlete, making sure that, you know, those relationships are, are fluid and, you know, supportive coming from the team with the, the prior experience I have being an athlete, just knowing, you know, what, what's, what's needed and kind of what should be expected from, from both parties. And look, I mean, I've worked in cycling a little bit. I mean, you probably know I've done interviews and articles and some stuff on TV as well, but I've always had a day job in journalism or these days in public relations. I've always had a real job is kind of what I'm saying. How have you found the transition to what I'm guessing, having been a sportsman for your adult life so far, have you found the transition to that kind of more regular nine to five employee situation? <laughs> to be honest, it's hard. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, there were times when I was a writer and I thought, oh man, like we have it, we don't have it easy, but as a professional athlete, you are very fortunate with, with the time you have in the day to focus on, on yourself and on your health. You know, I'm very fortunate to be in the position I'm at, but there have definitely been times when I've been on, you know, conference calls or down in Atlanta at Wahoo headquarters, you know, during business meetings. I'm thinking, man, like sitting through a three hour meeting is way harder than a six hour training ride. So it's uh, definitely opened my eyes and made me appreciate, you know, athletes that are able to work a full-time job and still maintain a high level of fitness. Cause it's not easy, but um, it definitely makes you appreciate those times when you are able to get on your bike and ride and, you know, have that, that moment to yourself outside exploring new roads. And just to finish off, Ian, I mean, we're talking to you in Vermont. You're not from New England originally. So tell us where you did grow up and why you've ended up where you are in Vermont, which I've been to and it's a beautiful state. So why there? Yeah, yeah, it sure is a beautiful place. I actually grew up in another beautiful place in the U.S. I grew up in Bend, Oregon, so that's on the west coast in the center of the state, up in the Cascade Mountains. It's a very um, endurance kind of sports town. There's a lot of triathletes and runners, cyclists. So it's a little bit strange that I moved to rural New England where there's not an incredible amount of, you know, kind of high-end world-class athletes. Um, but my wife is actually from Vermont. We met out in Oregon. She was living out there post-graduation of, of university. And yeah, I followed her back here and Vermont kind of had all the, the boxes 
that I wanted to check off. You know, I wanted a, a little bit of property outside and our house and some acreage and got an old farmhouse. It's a nice, quiet place. Houses are not nearly as expensive as they are out in Oregon. And I love my wife. So I, I followed her back out here. <laughs> Okay, well, you are clearly a keeper, my friend, if you manage to follow the wife. But I've been there, and I think Vermont is lovely. I, I, I think I'd like to say as well that once this whole lockdown situation passes, as it inevitably will, it would be great to get out with you on the roads or maybe even on the gravel as well uh, and get a proper ride in together again like we did some seven years ago. That would be awesome, yeah. My wife and I actually organize a, a gravel event here in Vermont on September 26th. It has not been changed or postponed at the moment. Um, yeah, it's a peach and fall fonda, so if you're able to make it out and if everything has returned to normal, it would be awesome to have you out for that and ride some gravel roads of Vermont. Oh, it's a deal. It's a deal, Boz. Listen, thanks so much for talking to me, and, uh, and do stay well. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Hope, uh, hope you continue to track some athletes down for the podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 